1: Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm going to get to the regular uh, show here in in a moment. Uh, I recorded an ep- a new episode last night after the draft with Chris Russell from the Team 980. But I wanted to just mention here at the top that I'm going to, at the end of this interview, replay part of my conversation recently with Fred Smoot. Uh, when Smoot was on with me to talk about the Dan Snyder era, I threw in a question to him about Emmanuel Forbes because another Mississippi State product and Smoot has been a fan. So you get to hear what Fred Smoot had to say if you missed it about Washington's new first round pick. All right, uh, here we go. Uh, the episode post draft. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for the Athletic, which of course means on Thursday. I was at, actually, I am still here at, in Ashburn at the team facility. We talked to Ron Rivera and Martin Mayhew a little bit ago about the newest member of the Washington Commanders, Mississippi State cornerback, Emmanuel Forbes, the who they picked 16th overall, a name we certainly talked about a bunch here on the podcast. Um, we We got their view of why they felt that Forbes was the pick for them. But of course, we also had the opportunity to ask them. Uh, about chase young and why they declined his fifth year option so we're going to go through all that here in a moment on the podcast which of course you can find on itunes spotify anywhere you do your podcasting and we're going to do it here i'm always intimidated when i'm doing these uh, you know hosting duties with a radio legend like the one who's with me here to discuss what happened here today none other than team 980 host chris russell at WrestleMania. hold on Six two one, boom. Okay, got it on Twitter. Um, so we're gonna bang bang this out. Discuss those primary topics. Uh, Russell, first of all, uh, haven't we? We, have, we of course talked on the side, but haven't had you on the podcast in a while. Didn't have you on pre-draft, so I don't know what your hopes and dreams were going into this. But a pick has been made. Uh, What what were your initial thoughts?
2: Yeah, I appreciate you having me, Ben. Uh, Always good to be with you. I mean, listen, Forbes was a name that I didn't, and, and maybe I was sleeping on it, I'm sure I was, I didn't hear as much of until late this week. And where it really picked up for me was Charles Davis from NFL Network and Fox was a guest on my show from Kansas City yesterday, or Wednesday, I guess it was, and said, look, I asked him as kind of a parting shot, I said, what's the one prospect that you think you love that not as many people are giving attention to, shine to, love to? And he said, no hesitation, Emmanuel Forbes. And it didn't immediately connect to me. But I mean, of course, in the back of your mind, you think, okay, that this is a guy that the commanders could certainly use. Um, and then Daniel Jeremiah uh, mocked him in his final mock, to the commanders. And I started connecting the pieces. Maybe they've been talking, maybe they know something, maybe they've heard something. And I'm sure you knew some of the buzz much more than me. I mean, I didn't know where they were on Christian Gonzalez. I didn't know exactly where they were on Witherspoon, although I guess they had him in for a visit. Certainly they had Forbes in for a visit. And you know this, Ben, that, that they do not draft According to everybody else's boards, I, they went off wildly last year, and by and large, it was successful. Dotson was, w- w- you know, they took him at 16. He was ranked 55th by Pro Football Focus. Uh, Finarian Mathis, they took way ahead. Brian Robinson, they took a round ahead. They do not go based on everybody's board. Not that most teams do but they especially don't care so none of this should be surprising I guess I guess the only surprise for me and I don't know how you feel because we haven't talked about this necessarily is they had Christian Gonzalez available from Oregon widely regarded as the top corner and he they bypassed him
1: why we don't know yeah. No, I think so. In terms of Forbes specifically, and I will give you a pass. You are a man who has got a, a full-time job and a full-time life. You have a lot going on. Uh, but yeah, so the other day, a couple of days ago, I reported that this is the guy to keep an eye on in terms okay. of a cornerback, 100%. and we had. It's fine, Russell. You, 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 you can't listen to everything read everything. I see
2: a lot of things that you write and say, and I'm right there with you. We were lockstep about you know the whole Chase Young thing, defensive sure. end. I'm sure we'll maybe get to some of that. I missed that from you, so all, that's a really good call by you, my friend.
1: All good. He and We did an athletic beat rider mock draft, um, I guess, Monday. came out Wednesday, and it was ironically similar to the situation that Washington faced. I was going to go with an offensive lineman. The top four were gone, mm-hmm. so I'm sitting there facing a cornerback, and it was around a couple days prior to that is when I had first started hearing that Forbes is the one to keep an eye on here, and he was the guy that I picked. I, I don't know how good I was feeling about it, because to your point of them going off of their own board, you know, our NFL Draft Insider, Dame Rugler, he had Forbes, I want to say 35 mm-hmm. overall, and other than Mel Kiper and I think maybe McShay, I really hadn't heard too many other people talking about him, but then all of a sudden... Kuypers puts out his his uh, final big board. He had Forbes 17. I think he also had uh, Forbes in his mock draft to Washington and, and so on. So whatever was coming, it was coming late because maybe to Charles Davis's point, he was being overlooked, which is somewhat understandable in the middle of the first round when you're talking about a defender who weighs 166 pounds. Uh, Forbes had a record. In, the, in college, uh, not for weight. He set a record in college for returning six interceptions for touchdowns. Mm-hmm. He had 14 overall. Martin Mayhew, of course, played cornerback when he was you know, mm-hmm. in the league, including during the Super Bowl here, said that basically this guy defines the term ball hawk. And when you have those kinds of numbers, absolutely. But I imagine, certainly from the public perspective, perspective, they it's hard to get past 166-pound defender. And that will be something that will be interesting to see what, what they do. They did bring Forbes in for a visit. They clearly liked him. He obviously played well. He was in the SEC, was a second team All-American. I wonder, don't know the answer to this. They did not, they did not bring in Gonzalez for a thirty, as mm-hmm. we know. And Gonzalez, to your point earlier, Brugler had him number five prospect, period. Yeah. Forget first corner, the number five prospect. He obviously slid, so clearly teams didn't love him as much as the the, the media did. But I wonder like how much it was like a comfort thing. They knew this guy because they had really studied Forbes, and maybe there was more mystery to Gonzalez. So um, I can't sit here and say they made the wrong call. We'll see, because they clearly liked the guy, but it's an interesting call, especially with a direct position, and they went for like you said, the guy yeah. that they liked more than what the rankings suggested.
2: Uh, let me ask you this, uh, and I know this is your podcast, so I probably shouldn't be asking questions. Are, are you really worried about the weight thing? Or, I, I mean, they kept saying it's a chip on his shoulder. He said not a big deal. Teams weren't that bothered by it. I mean, when you look at some some of the tape, and, and I'm just starting to scratch the surface. I mean, it's late Thursday night, early Friday morning as we sit here. So I don't know how much tape you've watched on him, but when I when, just a little bit of that I've watched. He definitely plays bigger than 166, 170. Yeah. There is no doubt about that. But the one thing that's kind of surprising, when you are that small in terms of, of body weight, not... Not small like he's not five eight, man. He's six he's six, right, one. He's six one. Right, six one one seventy, let's call it, right? I think he's up to one hundred seventy is the latest I heard. The commanders list him at one eighty. But he's six one. He's not five nine, five ten, whatever. So I don't want to call him small, but they list
1: him at one eighty? R-
2: yes, they list oh. him at, at six one one
1: eighty. That's like a, that's like when I tell the girls I'm five eleven. But go ahead. Okay.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> but but let's just assume he's six one or six six Foot change, whatever. Yeah. And let's just say 170. Okay. I wonder if in the NFL, like, is he ultimately going to have to play slot? I don't know. Ron was non-committal about that on Thursday night. I don't, I don't remember who asked him uh, the question. I think it was uh, Sam Fortier. Maybe. Said, you know, like, how do you kind of figure all this stuff out now? We should point out, Kendall Fuller, going into the last year of his deal, he has been a slot corner in th- with this coaching staff to a limited degree, but they clearly like him more outside,
1: right? Correct. By Ben's- the way, just, just to put a, a, an exclamation point on your point, yeah. when we were at the NFL, the owners meeting, and we, we had each of us had a chance to talk to Ron mm-hmm. Solo, one of the questions I asked him was about, knowing that you're probably looking at a corner, how do you view Kendall Fuller? Are you looking at him staying on the outside or are you looking to move in? He suggested to me that they like what Fuller has done and would prefer to leave him now, on, the st- on the outside. Yeah. So St. Houston may get to this. He also obviously started in the slot last Correct. year. And at, at that weight, I don't know that Forbes can play inside, but that's something they'll have to figure out.
2: Well, and, and that's what I'm wondering, right? I mean, I mean, because if he plays, he played large, almost overwhelmingly outside of Mississippi State. And he played a mixture of man and zone. Some of the scouting reports, PFF and others say much better in zone. Ron, I mean, much better in man. Ron says, no, 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 no. He, he made a, a couple of, you know, he got a couple of his turnovers and takeaways in zone. Uh, we know what happened the last time they tried to take a man press or somebody who was better at man. And that's part of the reason why I don't think they were necessarily in love with Joey Porter. Yes. Right? Because of what they like to do and so on and so forth. Um So I do wonder how they actually use this because, remember, they brought back Danny Johnson who can play both outside and inside, but I think is slightly better on the inside maybe than the outside. So it's not like they have to put Emmanuel Forbes outside or inside. They have people right there for at least this first year. Then it's kind of finding out, okay, is he and Christian Holmes and Benjamin St. Juice your kind of three main outside corners, and do you have a – and and that's where I'm intrigued. So I don't even know if Emmanuel Forbes plays a lot early on if St. Juice Kendall Fuller and Danny Johnson are healthy.
1: Yeah. No. And and, and that's what. Because the William Jackson thing has, I'm sure,ly for all of us, sort of shaped how we view this. Okay, they've got to get somebody who feels comfortable in zone. And, um, you know, that was, for me, an immediate red flag on Joey Porter. And I've really largely Agreed. sort of avoided thinking of him. Um, Rivera said that Forbes, they felt, with what the defense he was playing in college, was a good mix of what they do here in zone. And, man, so we'll see how that goes. They'll obviously have plenty of time to work on, on that. um I, Look, it's. I guarantee I haven't seen any grades. I will guarantee this pick will not be considered to be a, a good one in terms of a grade, which is irrelevant. Probably similar to John Dodson last year because they picked him higher than probably a lot of people suspected. Nonetheless, uh, this team needed more playmaking. They were, uh, like, bottom six, seven teams in, like, interceptions and splash.
2: Tied 26th overall in takeaways last year. Nine interceptions— Nine fumble recovers, 18 tied with Arizona for 26, to your point.
1: Right, and I think as good as Kendall Fuller is, he's, I, well, he, in, in fairness, he did have two picks sixes last year, yep. but nonetheless, like he's not necessarily viewed as that guy. And they needed more. St. Hughes could get his hands on the ball, mm-hmm. couldn't always, though, secure the interception. So they have somebody who they can do that now. We'll see how they do that uh, as well. Um, obviously, we don't have to talk about necessarily the board for tomorrow, but clearly offensive line's got to be a priority. They've got two picks on uh, Friday Uh, seven more overall. So I would imagine we'll hear something about offensive linemen there. Um, it's late. I don't want to talk too much more about this. Let's get to the other part of this, Mm. the chase young component, obviously. So today was the first day we've had the chance to speak with Ron about the decision to decline the fifth year option. Um, You'll help me out here if I'm forgetting (laughs) what he said, because it's been a little bit of a blur here. But basically, he just said, look, he didn't offer any specific reason. He didn't cite the knee. He didn't cite production. He didn't cite, uh, you know. He
2: basically said it was a football thing or a football decision, which is generic and code for um, not, A, wanting to get specific. But I read it. I don't know if you interpreted the same as, uh, it's not necessarily because of the knee and, and concerns that the knee is never going to be right. I think athletically, I think the, all the sophisticated testing and all that, from my understanding, Chase was ready you know, in that area way before he ultimately came back on Christmas Eve Day in San Francisco. And I don't think, from what I can sense, they have as many major questions about the knee as maybe media and fans do. I think they have questions about everything else, including his commitment, his work ethic, his maturity, his fit in the defense, the structure, the way they want him to operate. And I, I don't mean to be a jerk here by any means. I, you know, there's a re- there's speculation. Not it's not really officially a report, but Dan Graziano of ESPN is not somebody that you just go, oh man, and it's just throwing pasta to the wall and seeing if it sticks. Like he threw out, there's possibility Chase Young, Montez would get traded this weekend. I don't think either will. But I would say this, in my opinion, Ben, if you're going to trade one of the two, it should be Chase Young. If yeah. you could get anything realistic for him.
1: Yeah, for and, sure. And that's the problem. Right. And, and what my understanding, you know, talking right to people right after the news came out was. You know, they would basically have to be blown away to make a trade. You know, never forget my my overriding factor with everything that they do this offseason has been Ron Rivera's in a year where he needs to win games. Otherwise, it may not even matter with a new owner, but nonetheless, they're going to have to win. And while we're sort of talking about the downside of Chase Young, that it hasn't, you know, obviously the last two years have been rough, you know, he is still likely to be a more productive player for them than a second round pick or a day two pick. Therefore... Keep him, and you see what happens. And look, Ron said flat out, look, we just did this with Duron Payne. He played out his last year of his deal. In that case, it was the fifth year. Had a great year. Paid him. It would be great to have that opportunity. We'll see where we are next year. Um, my basic take, we don't know if the people don't need to hear from me again on this, but was why commit money to Chase Young for next year when if you understand they realistically can't keep all four of these guys on extended deals – that by declining the option, you now give yourself a chance to choose either Chase Young or Montez Sweat, depending on how things play out. There's of course some risk to to that, but there's also the potential for motivation um, there as, as as well. And and I know you, like you were saying, you were on my side of the aisle in terms of that that approach. That yeah. this is the better the, the the way to go.
2: And and listen, I I you know now that they've committed the money that they did long term to Deron Payne. It's even more pronounced that you can't do the the all the four horsemen thing long term, right? I mean, I, I don't know if that was ever realistic anyway, a, at any point. But I think most of us thought Deron Payne would be the guy on the outside looking in, not necessarily Chase Young and or Montez Sweat. And I still think, uh, I, I assume you're on the same page with I think you're on the same page with me that Sweat probably in their eyes. Is the guy that they were more likely to commit long-term money to of the two, Sweat Young? Now, especially being that they absolutely did commit the long-term money to Deron Payne. Um, you know, I, one, one more thing about. I, I agree with you that that uh, you know, even if you got a fourth-round pick, which I think is probably the best you could ever expect right now for Chase Young, and say it's Saturday's, you know, fourth-round pick Saturday is that player likely to have a bigger role impact whatever than chase young probably not almost i don't want to say definitely not but almost surely not however thought about this you you know you could still trade chase young at any point this summer at the cut down to 53 if he doesn't respond the way you want him to not only on the field but in the building, away from the field, some of the issues that they've been concerned about for a long time. If he doesn't respond, you could still trade him at that point. And, Ben, even if he does respond, and then once you get into the season, still, ah, he's still, you know, doing what we tell. You still have up until the trade deadline to still trade. Now, again, you might not get a lot for him, but I'm telling you, if you trade him tomorrow, you're not getting a lot for him. Right. A- at least the way I see it. I-, I mean, I don't know if you agree, but would you say at best you probably right now today this moment if you tried to trade him at best i see a fourth round pick and that's probably at best is and maybe i'm wrong um you
1: yeah, know i i it, it's hard to say one thing we'll be curious to see is like you know i and i we obviously were working because the pick was made in the middle of the round then we have to all start, right and then ron and, and martin talk so i've lost track of exactly how the board played out but you know there are obviously teams that have been looking for pass rushers did they everybody get what they wanted? Will right. they by the time this draft is over? That could always lead to something. Like I said, I don't really think he's going to get traded, but you're right. There's opportunities uh, later. and I think it's just ultimately a reminder that the draft is all about optimism, and that's what it was largely today. Mm-hmm. It, it's, and for, for these guys, they're very happy with the Forbes pick. And then asking about Case Young, it's almost like uh you know it's like a debbie downer situation hey you're in a really good mood now let me ask you about something kind of negative and that's what this whole situation is about the draft is about hope and optimism but the reality is it's about uncertainty and you never know what how a human being is going to develop or how injuries happen obviously he had that as well so uh we will see how that unfolds uh just lastly we don't have to go through the whole draft but you're, you're competing directly with your division the eagles They ended up with Jalen Carter, defensive tackle from Georgia, who prior to his um, involvement in a drag racing Mm -hmm. situation that unfortunately led to the death of two people, he was arguably the number one prospect in the draft. Mm -hmm. They were able to get him at nine. Mm -hmm. The player I had projected to them to take at 10 when they had that, they moved up one spot, spot. was Nolan Smith, the defensive end from Georgia. They got him with their second pick at 30, Um, you know. I don't know what Emmanuel Forbes will be, but the team that's at the top of the division, I believe, got better today. And, you know, this is the other thing. is It's not just what Washington does. It's how are you competing against the other teams, particularly in your own division.
2: Yeah, people keep telling me you you can't win with defense in this league.
1: That's what they say,
2: <laughs> that it's an offensive-only league. It's a point-scoring league. And obviously, I don't believe in that philosophy. And I don't think Howie Roseman and the Eagles believe in that philosophy. And you just chronicled some of the reason why. And it's not only this year. Remember, Jordan Davis was their number one overall, or not number one overall, but first-round pick. Yeah. N'Kobe Dean was a surprise third-round pick. Uh, They've had some defections on the defensive side of the football, obviously. But they were able to return their two starting corners. They lose Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. They lose Javon Hargrave. You've got to replace some of those guys. Again, some of these guys, who knows what their impact will be. But their defensive line rotation goes seven at least strong. And that is a problem, especially against this commander's offensive line, which, again, at least as of right now, they have not addressed in this draft. They did in free agency. They think they got two starters in Wiley and Gates. We'll see. We'll see what happens on Friday and Saturday. I mean, clearly, I think they're going to address offensive tackle and probably interior offensive linemen. The, the The thing for me is, as I sit here, and I obviously I've got to look at who's still available, match all that up in my mind and see, okay, well, we've still got another 15 picks. Then I, I don't know if they're going to come out and absolutely on Friday night say, no doubt about it, round two, offensive tackle. I don't think this front office operates like that. I don't think... A lot of front offices operate like that. This one, I don't think, really does. Remember last year, everybody thought, "Oh, they got to have a linebacker because Jamin Davis was such a flop." They've got to, they drafted no linebackers, none,
1: yeah.
2: none. So what? I mean, we could sit here and say they need an offensive tackle, need an offensive tackle, and we could wind up Saturday night and they didn't sign, <laughs> they didn't draft one. Yeah, you know? not likely, but it's a possibility.
1: It is a possibility. Um, last question, and I'll let you go. Uh, Will Levis and Hendon Hooker, two yeah. quarterbacks that people thought could go in the first round. have I been mean, Levis was being discussed as a top-five pick, perhaps. That ultimately clearly was more of a uh, rumor mill gone wrong situation. And Hooker was an unusual case. A 25-year-old entering the league coming off an ACL injury. But he was a Heisman candidate last year. And there's some people uh, suggested that he could be a good but quarterback. He still could be. Um I, we were, told, we were all talking about this here. All the constant discussion about Washington with a quarterback, whether it was Lamar Jackson or somebody in the first round, was ridiculous because it's been pretty obvious that they're Sam Howell, Jacoby Brissett. You can debate whether right. that's good enough, but now we're into day two. Uh, it's a little bit different in, in the second round. It doesn't mean you couldn't. It would still lead to some potential controversy or you know interesting competition. Um, but you mentioned the offensive line. There's guys like. Cody Mock from North Dakota State, who's got that position flex, Laron loves, DeWan Jones, the huge offensive tackle from Ohio State, are a couple guys I think they would be interested in. If we're on the board, if they're on the board and these guys are there, do you how tempted are you to say, you know what? You never the quarterback's never solved until it's solved maybe you got to take it or do you stay with the plan of got to get those, those uh, or offensive line and other needs?
2: I mean, again, uh, you know, I would not be shocked if if we go even rounds two and three and they do not dress, address the offensive line because they feel they've added two starters. Whether they're right or wrong, they feel they've added two starters in Wiley and Nick Gates. Again, it's not enough. I I, I challenge anybody to tell me that it's enough, okay? No. but But they feel they've added two starters. So with that... With that premise, um, I think it's I think it's absolutely possible we could go through rounds two and three and again not see them address the not likely but possible. That being said, that we, yes, quarterback absolutely. I think I didn't think it was in play at 16. I thought that would have been a really aggressive play and over pursue and you know all this even when Hooker was there and we knew they had interest. But to me at 47, that's a different ballgame. Now, what I love it? Probably not, but listen, Will Levis. You could say a lot of things about Will Levis, you know. But we know this big, strapping buck who likes to eat banana peels
1: and put mayo in his coffee. And put mayo
2: in his coffee. Uh, I mean, looks great in a workout. Looks great coming off the bus, right? Looks great in a uniform. I don't know if he can play. I know he can throw. I know he can probably be developed with the right. You know, and remember they have, and I think you pointed out a Stanford quarter. Right, the Stanford quarterback is still in play here. Why? Because they brought over the Stanford offensive coordinator. Right. I mean, you'd think like if I don't know what you know what they think of each other or or, or you know whatever. But that's all. So yes, absolutely. I think everything's in play, and and I think furthermore, just I, I would say this. When I look at this team. I don't look at, like, oh, my God, there's this glaring need at any one specific position. I think they have needs, layered depth, looking at next year, all that. Absolutely. But there's no one position that they go, oh, my God, they need help here. And that's why I say they could actually go through Friday night, rounds two and three, and not address what we all feel is an obvious need and area of interest, and that's offensive tackle.
1: All true. All right, you can hear more of this, whether it's on a Friday or any, any any day, Monday through Friday, on the Team 980, right? One to four, you guys have changed your time. I have to remember everything now. One to four, the Team 980... Uh, you, you 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 love him. He drives you crazy, but he makes life interesting when you pay attention to Chris Russell, my guy. Think what? Are you me- well, I was just
2: going to say, I got to get you on, but you're so in demand that I, you know, I haven't been able to book anything with your secretary, and then your secretary funneled me through to your agent, and then your agent funneled me to your literary agent, and then the literary agent said to the athletic lawyers that if I wanted you on, I would have to give you a $5,000 um, appearance fee. And then, and then I would have to negotiate a three-year contract for $8,000 per appearance. Is that, is, is that... My sources are they correct? Or? Uh,
1: actually, it's nine thousand. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah. you know, I was a little bit off. Yeah, yeah no, no. We'll get you. The, we'll send you the updated yeah. forms.
2: I, I, I'd love to have you know. I'd love to have you on, but you're you're a busy guy. I mean, I hear you on with my guy Sheehan all the time. I hear you on with you know Grant and Danny all the time. I hear you on with you know, and, and then I'm like for bad asking him
1: I mean, he does so much never 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 feel bad uh Chris oh, appreciate it especially staying here late to, to talk uh yeah. we'll see what happens tomorrow thanks man thanks pal all right and here is uh that conversation with Fred Smoot talking about Emmanuel Forbes pre-draft um before I uh let you go you obviously I heard you uh talking to John Kime the other day or I didn't hear it but I know you were on there mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And you were uh, the draft is here. at Cornerbacks. I'll yeah. give you the pitch. We've talked a lot about that here. I haven't yeah. really talked a lot about Emmanuel Forbes, the cornerback yeah. of Mississippi State. And I I can imagine why you, Mr. Famous Mississippi State, are interested. But so is Mel Kuyper. He's picked him in the first round. Why do you, I don't know if you are thinking he's the best corner, but you clearly yeah. like him. Give me the pitch. Why? Why is Emmanuel Forbes good and maybe good for this team?
3: All right, this is why he's good for this team. He's a uh, three-time All-SEC cornerback. He's an oddity. And guess what? Most of the time, I mean, uh, Mississippi State and the Washington team has a great relationship. Sweat didn't let you down. I didn't let you down. Every time we go to that well, it's a good well. And what you want to do, opposite of St. Juice is have a whole nother animal. St. Juice is more of a knock balls down, not give you catches. You need a somebody that gets the ball back with this defensive line. If you want to take advantage of the defensive line, you got to go get a thief. Well, I got a thief from Mississippi that run a 4-3-5 flat 40. He's 6'2". He's, he's long. The best ball skills and most fluent hips in the draft. He's a – and I'm not just saying this because he's a bulldog. If he was at LSU, I would say the same. He has yellow jacket potential. All right, behind this D-line, he has Yellow Jacket Hall of Fame potential. I'm all about unicorns. I'm all about people who do not fit the mold. Well, it's a reason why they're good. Rajon right? Right. don't fit the mold. There's a lot of guys who do not fit the mold in this draft. He is a part of that unicorn group, and he's a part of a group that we can actually draft at 16. He
1: He's also 166 pounds. I mean, you played the position. Yep. That seems scary to me. When yeah. you factor in that he's dealing with 300 pounders around there, that he's gonna get hit by somebody.
3: were that- you when I was out there? I was only four pounds bigger. Did, did Is- I miss games? I never miss games. Listen, he's been in the SEC at 160 pounds, starting for the last three years, and missed no games. Uh, he's been in the SEC, the closest thing to the NFL. He's missed no games. He's played against Devontae Smith. He's played against Jamar Chase. He's played against Jefferson Jefferson. He's played against the NFL's best at 166. No reason to, to look at it now and make it a problem. Uh, it's only a problem when he starts to mix game. And don't forget this, Ben. Two things happen the day he get drafted. He going to eat a lot of steaks. He's going to lift a lot of weights. Right? That's what's going to happen. All right.
1: Thanks to everyone for checking out the podcast. Thanks to Chris Russell. Thanks again to Fred Smoot for his time. Uh, we'll be back. Uh, probably do another podcast after the draft is completed. Uh, I mean, we, we talked a little bit, I should say, about some of the day, about day two stuff with um, Will Levis and what could happen there. I, I would just say other names to keep an eye on in on day two. uh Cody Mock, the versatile offensive lineman from North Dakota State. DeWan Jones, the, the massive tackle from Ohio State. Those are some guys to keep an eye on, I would think. Uh, Steve Avila from TCU. John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota. Some interior offensive linemen that could be in play as well. Uh, Michael Mayer from Notre Dame is still out there. I don't see Washington taking a tight end, but that would be interesting if he made it to 47 as well. Um, all right but that's it for now. Uh, We'll be back. Like I said, uh, probably after the draft with more thoughts on the commanders. Um, so until then, see ya.